Hi, I'm Susan Clark. And I'm Chris Marie Campbell. Welcome to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. Have you ever wanted to take some of what you've learned on the podcast to the next level? Well, check out our new step-by-step, easy-to-use team kit to get your team from avoiding conflict to discovering the beauty in conflict. To learn more, go to www.thriving.com forward slash team kit. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash T-E-A-M-K-I-T. Hi, I'm Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we have a special guest with us, Coach Kevin Kearns, who has been in the world of fitness, wellness, and martial arts for over three decades. He is the former conditioning coach for 15 UFC fighters and ranked in the top five by the UFC. His system is based on three pillars, proper exercise, proper nutrition, and proper mindset programming. His experiences through the mental health challenges have helped mold his company. And he's also the author of two books, Always Picked Last, and There's Light in the Tunnel. Welcome, Kevin. How are you? How are you, ladies? Very good. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you for being on our show. Yes. Thank you for having me on the show. Hopefully somebody can speak Bostonese because I am from Boston. So hopefully we will <laughs> and we'll have to translate too much. I love it. Well, tell us a little bit about, because it sounds like your passion these days and probably has been for a long time, is about giving more getting mental illness and the path for people to be successful in that, to take care of themselves in it, get the stigma off of it. So tell us a little bit more about how you got interested in that and how you got from there to all the other things you've done. What happened is, you know, we've all seen Dateline, right? Unfortunately, I don't watch TV, but Dateline program. So I went through a very messy divorce from my college sweetheart, very messy, very, very costly. And then I went down the path of mental illness myself. Because when you, if you know anybody that's gone through divorce, people don't realize that even though you may want to divorce, how bad you want to divorce, there is a mourning period. So the death of a marriage, the death of a relationship. Plus when you have kids, it becomes extremely difficult. That coupled with a lot of money, some, let's just say, not so nice things that happened. Somebody attempted to blow up my house, things like that. So it's wow. kind of sc- yeah, kind of scary to talk about stuff like that. That created some serious PTSD in the beginning. And then going from your dream house with your college sweetheart, two kids with you full-time to alternating weekends to going to 1,100 square feet, then starting a date again at 50, that's another, <laughs> you, know, you know, knock on wood, I, it took me five years, but I, I've been with somebody for eight months now, and she's definitely my, um, she was my first pick, no, not always pick last, she was definitely my first pick. <laughs> you know, those experiences mold you, and that took me down a path of very dark area that I didn't even know was spiral out of control to the point where in 2019, I attempted suicide twice. My ex kind of turned my kids against me, and to this day, I have two daughters that don't speak to me that are 19 and 21. So it's been very challenging and to go down that path and then come back from that, thank God for McLean Hospital and ECT therapy. The book kind of came to me from there, the, the second book, There's Light in the Tunnel. I'd already written Always Pick Last, which is a story about how I grew up. My father died of alcoholism. I was picked on every day. And then I got into martial arts and fitness and it saved my life. It's kind of funny how I turned. I always tell when I go out and speak in public, whether it be at colleges or universities or do keynotes for companies, I always say I turned a hobby into a lifestyle and a career and a business. I've got a great job. I get to wear shorts and a t-shirt most days. So, you know, who doesn't get that? And I get to work with a lot of different people in a lot of different environments, whether it be one-on-one, whether it be corporate, whether it be group, whether it be on, now it's Zoom, now online. And the idea was to inspire people and give them, I'm not a therapist, I'm a coach, to give them a different take 
on how I went through mental illness, came out the other side, and how you could too, if you can too, and to actually, like you said, Susan, end the stigma. And people don't realize, I've got a friend that lives in the building that's going through cancer and the whole bit, great guy, comes from no money, built himself up. He says, you know what? And he said to me the other day, it doesn't matter what you went through or when I went through, it's the same. Whether it's cancer or mental illness, it's the same. That's why a lot of times in this industry or in the mental health industry, you call it the hidden wound. You don't have a cast on. You're not going through chemo. And if you look at the stats now, I think WHO about three months ago said there's 800 million people with mental illness worldwide now. Mm-hmm. And you know we all know that COVID didn't help it at all. If anything, it brought it to light. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the biggest challenges are we do live in a culture that is pretty isolated, pretty lonely. People don't talk. Now, I don't know if this is your story or not, but over the years working with probably more men than women, there's a tendency not to talk about something like that you're going through a tough divorce or that you're actually mourning or that something isn't going well. And that, I think those are huge contributors as well to what can be that spiral, that kind of armor that all of us have because whatever the circumstances Mm -hmm. are more than others. And when that armor is protecting a place on the inside where you don't really have developed those resources to connect, that can be a very frightening place to go, especially if Uh, there's... Not to interrupt, I agree with that. And I'm not trying to be stereotypical and non-PC, but when you look at men, it's even worse, I think. Because men are taught more to, you know, suck it up, pull yourself up to your bootstraps, the whole bit. They're not supposed to be vulnerable. One of the TEDx we're working on is only authentic or true mental health for vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable. If you look at people like Dr. Wayne Dyer, there is no North and South or East and West. It's all the same. There is no male and female perspective. It's the same. You can't have a male perspective without a female perspective. You can't have a female perspective without a male. So it's all the same, I think. We're all one in a sense. And I think, you know, I think it tends to be, I've just done a lot of reading about self-compassion. Christian Neff, she does a lot of work on that. And one of the things she talks about is we tend to think, you know, if something bad happens to us, you know, like, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. Like my life's supposed to be perfect and smooth. So one, we double down, like something bad's happening and I'm a problem because of that. So I make myself doubly wrong versus, you know what? We cannot get out of this life without suffering. Everybody does it. Kind of what you were saying, Kevin, whether it's cancer or mental illness or divorce or growing up in a alcoholic household and having that ongoing PTSD, that, that, which is my story, there's always something that we're dealing with. And to think that we can never have it, that's just, mm-hmm. I think we make ourselves suffer more because of that versus this common I, humanity. That I, we're I, I agree, I agree, Christy. Because when you look at it, you take, I'm a very big fan of yoga besides martial arts because people think, oh, you're all about beating people up. I go, look, I go, martial arts isn't about beating people up. It's the old adage of I'd rather have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And it's that mental awareness. It's that being able to walk in an environment and see things, what they are. But when you take a page from yoga, yoga, one of my first therapists said to me, and she was a big yogi, I'm 15 years now. I've just celebrated 15 years about two weeks ago, and I can't live without it. And I used to call it yogurt back in the day, you know, and I convinced people, and you see this guy that trained 15 UFC fighters and was ranked in the top five strength coaches from UFC doing yoga. And I go, look, man, I go, it's one of the oldest workouts there is known to man. And when you look at that, my therapist said to me one day, she's like, yoga is a good metaphor for life. And this is what you'll like. I think both of you are like this. It puts you into uncomfortable positions and tells you to breathe. And that's where Stepo is rotating and it's 90 degrees and the teacher's going, breathe. I'm like, breathe, I'm going to kill you in about five seconds but I don't get out of this pose. And you've been in there for 60 minutes and you're like, oh my God. And then you tend, and I think the challenge is 
for everybody, I go through this probably almost daily, is to be able to let go and not to get religion, let God, just let it go. And and yeah, and, and if you look at some aspects of Buddhism, I think a lot of Buddhist practice can be appropriate difficulty so that I might get manage them and get over them. So the, life, I mean, I think we're in a different, almost like time warp now where people in the 20-something or maybe even younger think they're entitled to everything because the Amazon packages come within a day and the <laughs> Starbucks coffee and the Whole Foods. But that's not life. Life wasn't, unless Matthew McConaughey said, life ain't easy. Wasn't meant to be fair. You know, <laughs> wasn't. And then what is the experience of fairness? Okay, what is that experience? What does that experience look like? Is it fair that this person had cancer and you didn't? Is it fair that this person is living in a tenement house and you're on? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. I kind of want to go back to just a question sure. that I have for you because you kind of mentioned it. I love the yoga. I love that you're, you know, the <laughs> ultimate flight club or UFC. And <laughs> But I do want to know, I have to say, I'm probably one of those people who I watch the ultimate fight club. And I can't really see that it's not pretty violent. Like martial arts, I can kind of get, there's a way in which you're supposed to find a way to, but help me, walk me through the ultimate fight club part of it. Well, ultimate fighting. Unless you want to start a fight club, it's a different story. No, that's a Brad Pitt thing. I think it's a yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, it's wrong, 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 wrong. Okay. Actually, All we right. have a class called that fight club, what we call the fight club, which is basically I teach people how to hit and hold pads because you're not getting hit. You're just learning how to hold. That's, okay. that's another story in our classes, <laughs> but we do for corporate and one-on-one. But anyway... So, yes, when you look at ultimate fighting, it is violent. However, is it controlled? Yes, there's a referee, there's rules, there's an engagement. It is the ultimate in competition. The challenge is when we look at our species, we're not violent. I mean, come on, there's how many wars have we fought? How many you know, <laughs> religions have fought over war? So I think if you put two guys or two women now, because women are fighting too, which is I'm fine. I mean, my girlfriend trains with me on a regular basis. She knows a lot. She's an informal dancer. And you have to, it's almost like growing up where, you know, I remember my grandmother saying, oh, you're aggravated, go hammer a nail. You know, my mother bought me a punching bag after my father died. I broke it in half. She bought me another punching bag. You are going to feel angry as much as you're going to feel depressed, as much as you're going to feel joy. So how do you channel that? So if you're going to get into the ring with somebody, yeah, there is a certain level of violence, but there's also a certain level of control. You can't eye poke. You can't eye gouge. You're not trying to kill the person. You might be trying to knock them out. That's a fact. That's part of the competition. To me, and I get it, it is violent. Absolutely. Is football not violent? Is hockey not violent? Oh, trust me, it's, I have my own. Yeah. Okay. I've played them, so I'm not telling you that they shouldn't no. have. No, but look at tennis. Is tennis not violent? You're trying to hit a ball <laughs> as fast as you can. So I understand it. And I think if there's a level of control, and that's what, you know, my favorite things to see is when two fighters go at it, one wins, one other, and I've seen people get knocked out and the fighter raises his hand, he walks right over, he's like, is he okay? Is he okay? Because at the end of the day, they really don't want to hurt somebody beyond belief. This isn't combat. You know, this isn't war. And even still, I work with a lot of military, and believe me, some of the stories you hear from the military and police is they do their jobs, but their jobs are tough sometimes. Yeah, Very for sure. Okay. Hey, I wanted to go a different direction from the fighting. I wanted to hear your, you know, you went through this mental illness based on all this that was happening. How did you work your way? Because you're here. Thank goodness. Yeah. How did you work your way through that? Tell her this. Good question. Very good question. So when you think about it, what happened is I was lucky enough to have a good therapist. That therapist committed me. And then I went to one of the best hospitals on the planet, McLean Hospital. And I went to a lockdown ward. I woke up on Christmas Eve 2019 in the lockdown ward. Wow. 
And the second attempt or second attempt. Yep. Yeah. Second attempt. The scar on the left side of my neck is real. The second day I try to find a spot on the Tobin bridge and jump off. And mm -hmm. I, I do not know the names to the state trooper to this day. I was looking for a spot. He pulled me over, saw the patch on my neck because I had done that the night before. And he looked at me and says, go to your therapist. I don't know who he was to this day. Wow. He'll probably save me. Um, An angel. <laughs> that was it. And then when I went to McLean, they taught me a lot. I had a short stint in another hospital, but it was nothing. And they didn't teach me anything. Taught me a lot. And they, I heard about ECT therapy, electroconvulsive therapy. Didn't know what it was. My mother was still with us. She passed away in 2020. But my father, it's funny. Every time I have hesitation or something that I'm not sure of, but I am sure of, there's like that little doubt. The little voice kicks off in my head. I swear it's my dad since I was 12 going, do it, Kevin. Just do it. And I checked, as my old therapist would say, check the facts, which is going to be hopefully my third book, check the facts. I looked at the facts and say, everything else I'm doing, I'm doing therapy, I'm trying medication, nothing's working. I have to do something. At that point, you get to a point where you have to make a decision, right? You have to make a change. And when you look at the root word of decision is indecision, cut off. I had, to, I, had to do, I had to make some change. I barely knew anything about ECT therapy, and they recommended that after 12 sessions, ECT therapy, if nobody knows, the listeners don't know, is they basically induce a seizure, and it resets basically the chemicals in your brain. It was funny because they told me 12, you'll start feeling better after 12. I started feeling better after three. It was like the sky opens. I was like, okay. And they start tapering you over months. And I remember Chris, I don't know his last name. They are, they're great people. They interviewed me. They interview you afterwards. How are you feeling? This, that, and the other thing, blah, blah, blah. And I got to a point where you taper and taper. And then I was, I think it was like once every six weeks. And it's an in-depth procedure. It's simple, but you have to go in. They put you out, this, that, and the other thing. It probably only takes, the whole thing takes maybe 15 minutes. And then you have to have somebody pick you up, drive you home. I mean, I had friends help me out. And it was pretty time consuming, but it worked. And I mm -hmm. at the last interview, I asked Chris, I go, when do I know I don't need this anymore? He goes, when you ask that question, I said, I'm done. He said, okay. He goes, well, just remember this. We're always here. And they started a project in 2017 called uh, Deconstructing the Stigma. I'm part of it now. You can go up mm -hmm. on their website. And I don't know if my eight by 10 poster of me is up in one of the airports someplace. And I said to myself, after I went through that, I during that process, I said, how can I help others? And the reason I came to grips with the book was, you know, I was off social media for a while when I was sick. And I, I do say I was sick. And one of my business coaches, Steve Whittier, said to me, he goes, I want you to talk about something difficult. I went on Facebook, talked about my mental illness for maybe my depression for maybe five minutes. We had 2,000 views in a day. My phone started ringing. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, I've got something here. And not so much monetary-wise, we all need to make money, but on the sense of, and this is pre-COVID. This yeah. is before COVID even happened. And it was, think about it, divorce. I have a service business, depression, attempt suicide, COVID hits, boom, I lose 90% of my business. And then I'm coming out with a book at the same time on depression and mental health right now is, thank God, it's on the forefront of people's minds. So, and I'm not going to lie to people. It's a daily process. You have to make up your mind. You have to make up your mind. And you definitely, definitely, as Christine Marie said, and you said, you have to have a team behind you. You have to have a team. And you will have moments that are difficult. And I'll say our three pillars in our system hold fast. Proper, and I want to stress that term, proper exercise. I'm not talking about finding stuff on YouTube. That's all fine. Proper exercise, proper nutrition. I'm not talking about the latest diet fad. And then proper mindset programming. What are you feeding your brain? Are you playing violent video games? Are you watching violent movies? You know, things of that nature. I'm a big fan of Dr. Wayne Dyer. I must listen to him almost every day. Box square breathing works for me all the time. I'm part of the Wim Hof movement. I enjoy that type of breathing. So anything and everything you have to have, kind of like you have to have a toolbox. It's almost like being a coach. You have to have a toolbox, what's going to work for a client, what's not going to work for a client, this client's new. So for yourself, 
you definitely have to have a toolbox. Mm-hmm. Hope that answers the question. That was kind of lengthy. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah. And I have just found in my own process, like not doing the, I get the reset of the brain with the ECT therapy, but through other process, I have to really reset my brain. Oh, yeah. Firing yeah. of my brain to get into. Otherwise, if you keep, we are big followers of Dr. Joe Dispenza. And if you keep thinking the same way, you're going to keep getting the same results. results. So you, you have to choose differently, but your body still is mm. stuck in the past. So it wants to choose the old mm. way, all that. Yeah chemistry and hormones. No, no, no. I want to eat the sugar or whatever it is, the bad habit. And to actually be bigger than that and make a different choice for how well, I'm going to... Well, it's great, Christine Marie, that you mentioned habits. And there's a great quote, for, I think it's from, I don't know if it's from Patanjali. No, maybe it's throw. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Habits rule the unreflecting herd. Yes, absolutely. Sure. 95% of our brain is unconscious running these habits. And so, yeah, if we don't look at them and wait a minute, I could choose differently. Well, I think Dr. Wayne Dyer and Miriam Williamson said that we have 67 thoughts a day. The problem is that we have the same 60,000 thoughts per day. Yeah, (laughs) and it takes work to... to And that is, I think, probably the hardest thing for people to get is you might... I mean, my own story was with cancer is embarrassing, but even if you get a clean bill of health after seven years of cancer treatments, then it gets hard because then you actually have to do the work. Because, you know, when you're living and dying, it's a kind of a dramatic dramatic choice and it's fairly easy to make. But once you get out of that, it can become very easy not to keep doing the work, like the breathing or the commitment to healthy, whatever those, your pillars. Yeah, Susan, I agree with that. So there's a great quote from my friend Joe Roga, when motivation dies, discipline takes over. And that's where it comes to grips. You know, even with mental illness, people don't realize going through what you went through, like myself. Yeah, ECT reset my hard drive, as I say, but that was three years ago, almost four years ago. I still have to do the work. The work still has to be done, you know, and that's a daily process and having a great support structure around you, friends, family, therapists, and then your own being. There was a book out there, Dr. Wayne Dyer talked about it, and it's one of the chapters in my book. I'm not okay. You're not okay. And it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> And I think the big thing too is whatever you're going through, especially, it doesn't matter what it is. I think wherever you are, I think the key thing is to realize, and this is a tough one, you are not alone. Yes. Somebody else has gone through this and somebody else has gone through this. And it's like Tony Anthony Ramos would say, he goes, don't reinvent the wheel. Somebody else has done it. Somebody else has done it. And people think that, and I'm a big fan of Matthew McConaughey, that I'm not a big fan of happiness because happiness is kind of fleeting. You know, I'll be happy that my book goes to make a movie. That's a hint to everybody, okay? Um, (laughs) I'll be happy when I get my first TEDx versus because it keeps raising the bar. And every time you get over the bar, you're like, well, I got to go higher versus he would use the term of joy, which I actually like the idea. He says, you know, when I got lost in the process of going through the book or going through the movie or going through this, he goes, I got more accolades and made more income than I ever thought because you get lost in the thing, you know? And I tend to, whether I'm training clients or if you put me in a room with a full people, I'll come off the stage and people go, who is that? I'm like, I don't know. I said, it just, you know, I prepare, but I don't prepare in the sense of, I'm not a big fan of notes. I'm not a big fan. I'll have a PowerPoint, but I'm not a big fan of that. I'd rather speak from my heart because I think that's the true mechanism that people have to do. And I think going back to what we started earlier is people aren't speaking from the heart because they're too busy on this thing constantly and not talking. (laughs) I do think when we work with corporate clients and one of the things we have them do at the start of the meeting is just actually share something that's more vulnerable. And it is a heart opener. And I think that 
like electrically changes the energy. Absolutely. I think, and I appreciate you bringing that up, Christine Marie, is vulnerability is strength. That's one thing I've stressed for people is vulnerability and strength. You know, one of our keynotes is true mental health through physical fitness, because everything I've read over the past five years says you want to feel better exercise because it's true. And I'm not talking about, you know, having to do what we do, but I'm talking about go for a walk, go swimming. We tell clients all the time, find what works for you. I hate spinning. Don't spin. I hate <laughs> Don't run. You know what? I hate this. I'm like, rather, like, I just went to yoga class. That's why I said 12, because I have a yoga class every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday from 9.30 to 11. I make a commitment and I go. That's the discipline. I'm not going to lie. As a coach, I'll go in there. I'm like, I don't feel like doing this today. I've been up since 5 a.m. Oh, I can't stand this. But I get in there and I go, shut up. Because I have to talk to myself like this. Shut <laughs> up. And just do it. It's like I tell clients, I go, me, even when I don't want to do it, if I get past the warm up, I'm good. And once you get through it, and then one of my old yoga teachers said this, Jackie Bonwell, the fact that you showed up for the class, for the run, for the swim, for whatever it is, the fact that you showed up is 90% of it. The rest of it's all judgment. Absolutely. All judgment. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Getting out there. Well, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? We've talked about, one, the importance of having a support group, a team around you, engaging in proper nutrition, proper exercise, and proper mind. Mindset. Yeah. Mindset programming. Yeah, mindset programming. As far as tips, you know, I would say this. I would say get comfortable being uncomfortable, number one. Number two, spend time with yourself. You have to like and love yourself and be okay being alone. For years, I never used to like going out to restaurants alone. And then I started traveling. You don't have much of a choice or go in the movies alone. You know, my kids were young and they were in school because a movie to me, something you enjoy is a break from reality. You shut the phone off, especially these new level, these lux levels, you're sitting down eating a movie and it, it is a distraction for a while from whatever's going on. And I would say the third thing would probably be, you know, investigate what brings you joy. What part mm -hmm. of exercise, what part of nutrition, like I'm half Italian and half Irish. I love to cook and I love to cook for people. Like my girlfriend says, I probably cooked for you in eight months, four times. I'm like, it's just automatic to me, just automatic <laughs> because it's just, it's fun. And, oh, hey, this is good. This is great because you get instant feedback. Plus it's healthy. So I think really take a step back and look at yourself and say, what can I change and what can I do to make myself feel it? And that's why I tell others I've consulted with like yourself, you both written a book or a couple of books, you know, yeah. when people say, I'm sure you've both probably read a book or listened to something and you say, wow, that one line, I remember that one line because you never know what you're going to write, what you're going to hear, what you're going to say. Like, I'll give you an example. When we put out, not to digress, when we put out our best-selling MMA conditioning DVDs years ago, I'm at a conference one time, the Fight Expo. First time I get my DVDs, I'll get my little monitor showing the DVDs. Guy walks by, he's the number one Ford dealer in New Jersey. This is 2009. He goes, oh my God, Coach Kearns, do me a favor. Say the party's over. I go, what? Say the party's over. I go, did I say that in a video somewhere? <laughs> I, to this day, it was like, Arnold, like, I'll be back. He, they didn't know that was going to stick. And he had me call his friend and say it. And he goes, I laughed so hard when I heard that. And every time we ever talk, I say, hey, John, the party's over. He's like, I love that. I mean, 10 years later, he still laughs at that line. It's hysterical. So, you know, write the book. As Les Brown would say, write the book like nobody's going to read it. Find what works for you. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to anybody else but you. Yeah. And you know, Bobby Fischer was a, was a chess master at 10. It made sense to him. Right. It's true. Okay. And how can our listeners find out about you, learn more about you? Where can they come Sure. I'm on LinkedIn, Coach Kevin Kearns. You can also go to Burn, B-U-R-N-W-I-T-H. 
K-E-A-R-N-S.com, burnwithkerns.com. There is a phone number. I actually pick up my phone. If I'm not picking up my phone, I'm old school. Okay, here, we'll just throw it out there. 508-404-8503. That's 508-404-8503. I may not answer from the client in a meeting, whatever, but I do call people back. I don't do the 24-hour thing. I always call people back within, unless I'm sleeping within three or four hours. Because, you you know, back in the day, there was that connection, right? Now you call somebody that's like, what? Literally, no way. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I don't think Alexander Graham Bell had the idea if people were going to get annoyed by calling each other. I know. That was you the point, wasn't it? You okay. have to text before you call. Sure. <laughs> what is that about? I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you just text me? Because I wanted to talk to you. Yeah. Yes. This has been great. Uh, Thank coach. you, ladies. I appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you very much. I enjoyed both of your company. I look forward to seeing you. And please let me know if you'd like a copy, either a copy of one of my books or both of my books. Please let me know. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found today's episode valuable. We know you're busy and we want to make it easy for you to understand how conflict may be showing up in a way that's impacting your team negatively. We recorded the first three chapters of our book for you to listen to for free. Get your free audio sample at thriveinc.com forward slash free sample. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com forward slash F-R-E-E-S-A-M-P-L-E. 